We also have treatment protocols that we uh, design based on uh, research. Everything, even uh, the arrival protocols, every, everything is going to be based on research. A whole new era of communication in the beef industry is coming. Now, you have the brightest minds of the global beef industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to the farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Beef Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts. Contact us for time and labor-saving solutions. Welcome to the Beef Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global beef industry. Welcome to the Beef Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brandy Buzzard, and it's my pleasure to bring you the trending issues and topics with the best and brightest minds of the beef industry. Today, we have Dr. Mariana Garamopame, veterinarian at TELUS Agriculture and Consumer Goods, where she focuses on the cattle immune response to respiratory diseases and vaccination. Dr. Garamopame has previously worked as a research assistant at the College of Veterinary Medicine at Iowa State University and also at Kansas State University. Welcome, Dr. Garamopame. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. We are very excited to have you here to talk to us about cattle immune responses and vaccinations and feedlot health management systems and all sorts of things. Um, but before we get into that, can you tell us just a little bit about how you got involved in the beef industry and your journey and your career so far? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have a bit of uh, unconventional uh pathway to the beef industry. I was I was not related to the beef cattle industry at all growing up. I um, was born and raised in one of the largest cities in the world. I'm from um, Mexico City and I went to veterinary school there. While studying uh, my DVM, I wanted to uh, uh, see how our systems in Mexico compare to those in the U.S. So I decided to uh, go on a journey and uh, enroll in a Ph.D. at Kansas State University. And it was then that I uh, started with uh, working with cattle research. I was there for about uh, five years at Kansas State University. I fell in love with the uh, beef community. And then I moved to Iowa State to continue my research in uh, bovine respiratory diseases. And uh, being in the academic uh, academic setting for about six years, I felt the need of uh, being in touch of with the industry. So I uh, pursued a job in the um, private sector. So now I work as a veterinarian for feedlot health management services here in Alberta, Canada. All right. Thank you for that, Dr. Garamopoy. We heard in your bio as you were sharing us about your background and how you got to there in Canada, how your, your work systems, and you mentioned a little bit about feedlot health management. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of your work with feedlot health management systems and how you help clients and feedlot owners be profitable or reach more profitability? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm uh, one of the veterinarians that works for feedlot health management services. And what we do is we use individual animal uh, recording systems to monitor 
health uh, in different operations. We do work with feedlot clients. We work with calf ranches, and then we're starting to work a little bit more with cow-calf operations. And so we help clients be more profitable by understanding the dynamics of each operation. We, using historical data, we can uh, predict the most economical uh, animal health programs for each of their herds. So we design individual uh, arrival protocols, uh, sick detection and treatment protocols. We design interventions using the most cost-effective methods. And then based on that, we can advise what's the best strategy to not only um, increase uh, and improve animal health, but also bring them solutions that are at the end of the day are going to be more profitable when they go and sell their cattle. Um, could you expound a little bit more and speak about interventions, maybe for our audience who isn't as familiar with that term, about like what kind of health and production programs are you designing for producers to help them reach their goals? Can you share any more detail on that? Yes, absolutely. So there's different categories of uh, health prevention uh, uh Con health prevention programs, con uh, control programs, and treatment programs that we design individually for every single operation that we work with. And there's also, as you mentioned, different uh, intervention programs that we design based on what we call triggers. So I'm going to go and I'm going to explain for the first uh, three programs that I described. So for any given population, we have different arrival protocols that would include a, uh, depending on the risk of, of the cattle, and by, by this I mean the probability of the cattle to die of respiratory disease. So we go from a low category, which are the cattle that are at the lowest risk of dying. And for those cattle, we're going to design programs that are tailored to uh, their risk category. And by that, I mean lower, usually lower cost products and less products than for those that are going to be at higher risk of dying of BRD. They're going to be our ultra high risk cattle, which typically would be your lightweight cattle coming from auction marts or your uh, beef and dairy crosses or your poor dairy cross, pure dairy crosses that are going to be placed at the feedlot. So, with you know that in mind, we have a low and a high uh, risk category, and then we're gonna to those health programs where prevention health programs. We're gonna add a vaccine to uh, prevent and control respiratory disease. We're gonna add a might uh, have an implant there. We're gonna add an antibiotic if needed for the given risk of that population to decrease the likelihood of dying of respiratory disease. And we might add the uh, warmers and such depending on what the, where the procurement models, if they come off from pasture, they come off from a dairy. And so that's going to be um, tailored uh, based on the on a given population. Not every arrival protocol is going to be the same for all cattle. We're going to look at the different characteristics of those populations of cattle 
some of the ones that come in mind were going to be age class, if they're calves or they're uh, yearlings, there's going to be where they were sourced from. So if they were come from straight from pasture, if they were backgrounded, if they come from an auction mart, if they are uh, um, come straight from the dairy, uh, transportation, uh, nutrition, um, the weight, right? There's, uh, like, as I mentioned previously, light cattle have a higher probability of dying than those that come in at 600, 800 pounds. And all that data, it's going to help us uh, provide the best approach to control and prevent uh, respiratory disease. Now, as I mentioned, those are the arrival protocols, treatment protocols that we uh, design based on uh, research. Everything, even uh, the arrival protocols, every, everything is going to be based on research, and that's uh something that I really like. And from my background in academic research and federal research, something that I really enjoyed with uh, working for Feedlot Health is that any of the decisions and the recommendations that we make for uh, clients are, are going to be, be based on solid, large pen commercial trials. And so for treatment protocols, uh, I'm going to, because my area of expertise and what I work more closely with is going to be respiratory disease. I'm going to, all the things that I'm going to talk about in this podcast are going to be related to BRD. And as we know, it's uh, the highest, uh, the cost, the highest cost for a producer that is going to be the treatment in the animal health area, of course, uh, it's going to be the treatment and, and trying to prevent animals from getting sick and dying of BRD. So uh, treatment protocols are going to be based, again, on the risk of the cattle. Usually uh, we use, uh, we have a four-tier uh, system where we uh, recommend the use of four different products in, in a sequential order our uh, producers never uh, repeat the same product, and that allows us to uh, prevent resistance to a given antibiotic. So they have uh, four products that they're going to use once they identify uh, cattle with respiratory disease, and all these products are going to be this attached to a protocol, a health protocol that's going to be integrated into one of our management softwares. So once the uh, pen riders detect sick cattle, we bring them to the uh, processing barn or the hospital barn, depending on the facilities they own, and they're going to register them in the software. They're going to scan their RFID tags, and then based on what they saw in the pen, they're going to uh, type in the diagnosis, for example, respiratory disease, and then the protocols are going to be embedded on the software. So that takes out the guesswork and keeps the treatment consistency to every single cattle. So the system calculates the amount of product that needs to be given to an individual animal based on weight and based on the label instructions and re previous research that we've done on that specific product. And then it tells the uh, employee exactly how much to apply and where to apply it. 
And then that keeps a record of the uh, treatment of that animal, the date and even the time. And then it allows them to keep uh, records of any treatment so that if that animal um, is identified as sick again and they decide to pull and treat, they're going to have a... a a previous event that shows them this animal was treated, for example, I'm just going to throw a brand name out there with Wrestler, right? So the next product that has shown to be uh, the most effective at reducing mortality and morbidity and also is the most cost, of, cost effective, and this is just uh, a hypothetical scenario, don't uh, don't take this as, uh, as exactly what we do, but let's say the next product is going to be exceed. And so that goes, you know, it's the same process again. The system tells them exactly how much to administer, where to administer. And then most, impo or most importantly, I would say it tells them the withdrawal. So we keep records of the withdrawals in all the products so that they know uh, exactly how much was given and how, when they can ship the cattle if, you know, if needed. And then moving on to the next the next uh, section of your question was intervention strategies. We, by monitoring an individual animal uh, health, we know from this, the company was founded in, in 1983. So we have records of cattle from since then. And then we have annually, we have over 4 million cattle in our system. So we know ex we know exactly, given historical data, uh, we have benchmarkings that tell us for a given population, for a given gender, for a given category risk, we know the probability of either uh, getting sick from respiratory disease or dying from respiratory disease. So we have uh, daily reports that show us the trends of the different populations and how are those populations trending against a database. So, for example, here in Western Canada, we have a large database that integrates most of our clients in a single pile, if you will. And so if you want to compare, for example, your cattle brandy against all the cattle in Western Canada, if you were to feed cattle here in Canada, then we would compare how your cattle are trending on their health outcomes. And we can predict if they're going to exceed that threshold in that then we receive we receive a trigger report. That trigger report would tell us is these cattle are outside of what they're expected to do health wise, and so we can intervene. Then that's what I mean about uh, when I say interventions. So we have this systems in place that flags the system and tells us there's something wrong with this uh, group of cattle, with this lot, with this pen. There's something that needs to be done to get back to what is expected, the, the, the trends of the health trends that it's expected. So that can look uh, a lot of different ways. Usually the next step would be as veterinarians um, would be going uh, to the site and uh, corroborating that what the system is telling us, the data matches the biological outcome, how, you know, how cattle look if they're really sick, if something else can explain why they look different the numbers look different than what is expected. And then we can decide together with the producer if we want to do something. Usually that then that can look like, for example, re-vaccinating the whole uh, the whole pen, right? If the whole pen, if more than certain percent 
percentage of the pen is getting affected. They've been trading f- from, for example, a uh, hundred uh, heads in a pen. They're trading 10, 15 a day. That means that there's something at the herd level that needs to be implemented and single pools are not going to make it. So we could, for example, um, as I said, uh, revaccinate the whole pen or even add uh, any uh, some uh, antibiotic strategy- strategies on the feed. Those would right. be the strategies. That makes sense with the numbers there. If, if you have a certain number of them that are sick, that's it's, you know, it's not worthwhile to just keep pulling one, like you said, to just revaccinate, you know, the whole the whole group. Um, you mentioned just backing up a little bit in in your description there, and thank you for that great dis- discussion of the different kinds of strategies you have, and then how you work with different producers to meet their goals. And I'm sure the record keeping, you mentioned that the pen writers, you know, they're putting in what they're treating and that way that it stays consistent and everybody has all the information. That way you're not having to check in with people and say, hey, did you do this? And and did you do that? That's, you know, I'm not surprised to hear that level of consistency at all. Um, You know, that's one of the great things about um, feed yards and beef industry is that that level of communication. You mentioned BRD and we know that BRD is, you know, the most costly disease in beef cattle, I think in on all of North America. And we've heard that for many, many years. So I guess my question is, <clears throat> are we make? I mean, improvements have obvi- obviously been made over the years to, to mitigate it better, to mitigate that host of, of, of pain points and diseases. But how much progress has been made? You know, at some point, are we going to reach a plateau where this is just, we're not sure we're going to get any more improvement. Where did we come from 10 years ago? You know, it was at a 5,000 foot summit and then now it's, we've gotten better and we've gone up. Um, have we plateaued? I guess, does that make sense? What I'm trying to ask is like, how much have we improved and is there much more improvement to gain? I guess that's my question is how much have we improved over the last decade is there a massive amount of improvement to be made or is a certain amount of BRD just to be accepted and an acceptable, uh, a known risk? Mm-hmm. So I would say uh, over the years, we've gotten better at understanding the behavior of the disease. I think that it's, you know, we've improved so much in different technologies and for me what where we're standing right now compared to 15 or 10 or 20 years ago would be understanding that not every population of cattle are going to behave the same i don't like generalizing so i when when we talk about brd risk and we talk about brd numbers right like uh, mortality and morbidity, I think we have to understand that we are treating and we're, so we're treating with uh, different populations of cattle. So as I mentioned previously, we have to divide them based on the inherent risk of those populations of dying of BRD. So I think I would like to think that we're doing much better. There's been so many different uh, technologies that we've tested that are gonna are showing us improvement not only on the health outcomes but also in the uh, welfare of those cattle and also and most importantly in the safety of the end product to to that consumer. 
So I think, you know, to, to answer your question in a nutshell, I think we, based on the data, uh, there's, uh, or there's been some large improvements. Of course, there's still room for a lot of improvements. And some of the areas that excite me the most are those that we're going back to the basics to try to understand and manage better the uh, risk of uh, uh, getting sick. I think that you made a good point there is that, you know, we're, we're going to keep trying to improve. That's a, a really good point that there has been progress made and that it's hard to speak to large populations because, um, you know, everything is different. So I appreciate that. You, I asked a very general question and I, I didn't set you up for, for a great, um, I didn't set us up for a great answer just because it's hard to answer in generalities because cattle are fed in all geographies. I mean, you're in Alberta and I imagine the geography in Alberta and the, I mean, just the, obviously the weather is very different and that can affect the way cattle uh, perform and the way they, you know, how easy it is for them to stay alive, basically. Um, but you said something that made me think about this is you mentioned that we're always going to try to keep finding improvements. And I think that's a statement that applies to the entire beef industry, whether it's in feedlot health or nutrition or sustainability or animal care, like we're always going to try to do things better. And um, so I guess my question is that, I mean, that's a little bit of advocacy, right? You know, trying to get better at things so that we can tell our, our customers and grocery shoppers, this is what we're doing. This is where we were, this is where we are now, and this is where we're trying to go. You know, we're always trying to, um, to improve. You had said something earlier um, when we were, before we were on the air that you think most people would disagree with this statement and that that would be that advocacy with, for the beef industry matters. So can you expand a little bit on that, on why you believe that most people would disagree with the fact that advocacy for the beef industry matters? Yeah, absolutely. So I, in my experience, it's been a, uh, quite, uh, eye opening that not many people, and I work with different uh, industry members, so I, I work from with you know uh, from peers, veterinarians, nutritionists, uh, people that buy cattle, people that feed cattle, people that uh, cowboys and and such. And I find that you know, although everybody is passionate about the industry, and you can talk all day long about why they do what they do, I don't think most people. Uh, understand that we have to reach our consumers. We think we like we would like to think that by doing what I do, which is take care of cattle, the health, improve health, that's that's just enough, right? But I, for me, is I we need it's our responsibility to reach consumers and let them know that what we do every day matters and how we do things because not everybody really understands and they think it's you know it is somebody else's job it is the job of the ncba to show you know uh why we do what what we do and and, and all those uh, true facts which in my opinion we should all uh get involved a little bit at least uh, enrolling in any of those online advocacy programs and understand there's so many things that I thought I knew about the industry and I really didn't until I uh, went on and uh, really researched 
what would happen if somebody asks me the question of uh, how do you know how like the different sectors in the beef industry of course i i know that now but it, I, I don't know if, if if that that answers your question i think yeah, yeah it does I, i think it makes perfect sense because in the area that i work in Um, or kind of like my daily life, I see lots of people being advocates, whether they're online or maybe, you know, I do a lot of public speaking about being an advocate. I have friends who do online advocacy who have podcasts like this, you know, I see that a lot, but I, you know, I don't see a lot of the people that you are working with every day. I mean, I, I, you know, that's not the network of people that are showing up in my social media feeds. And so it's interesting that even though I feel like a lot of people are advocates, it's, it's interesting. And I believe you that you say that there's a lot of people who just think it's someone else's job. You know, I'm doing this, I'm taking care of these cattle, I'm making sure that they're healthy. And, and that's my job. And somebody else can speak up for the industry and talk to consumers. But I agree with you in reality, like, this is the industry and the livelihood that we all love, you know, being around cattle, whether you know, you're in the feedlot sector, I'm a cow-calf producer, but we both share that same love and passion for this lifestyle of having cattle and being caretakers. <clears throat> and to some point, I think that it's everybody's job to stand up for our livelihood, because if we don't do it, I mean, PETA isn't going to do it for us. <laughs> like, you know, so I, I completely agree with you. Uh, it's disheartening to hear that there are people who don't recognize that importance, but that just solidifies in my mind, the need for people like you and I to be doing that level of advocacy, just to continue doing it, because not everybody is going to do it. So uh, it's kind of bittersweet to the way you said it, because there are people who don't believe in it, even though they love the beef industry. Um, but that just drives me to want to be better and speak up more loudly. Yeah. And in my experience, while trying to motivate people to advocate for the industry, I'm always, when I have the opportunity to talk to vet, veterinary students, they even, that don't, don't even cross their mind. We have a um, some uh, externship program with different universities. And at the end of that week-long uh program we have a presentation what you know the advice that you would give to uh, young veterinary students that want to go into the beef industry you know what what would you do and i've given different tips on practice and professional development and i this year i decided to switch things a little and i just wanted to spark in them the curiosity of hey guys this is what we do and consumers have been shown to trust veterinarians and ranchers above everybody else. So why are we not, while, you know, we're, we're trying to make our clients more profitable. We also need to support the industry by showing up for the industry. And if the consumers are trusting us, then it's our responsibility to share what we do to make, to keep those cattle healthy so that at the end of the day, they're going to have the best life possible and they're going to reach that consumer in a safe and uh, healthy way. So I, I've been really impressed with, you know, not they never thought about it, but then so, when somebody just puts that idea in their mind, they're going to be like, you're right. 
and they feel empowered. And I share with them, like, use your social media, use your LinkedIn, use your everyday conversations. If you're in the grocery store, share your story because there's nobody that knows as much as we do about what happens in the industry as a rancher or a veterinarian. So I've been pleasantly surprised if this, you know, motivates you and gives you a little bit of hope. I've been pleasantly surprised that when I share the links to those websites and the programs, uh, people usually engage and then that changes the way they uh, approach the consumers. That's great. That was a great soundbite that we should all do. We could just share across the industry is that, you know, you're there. That was just great. That you know, veterinarians that I read that what, what you, what resonated with me was the part where you said veterinarians and, um, ranchers are most highly trusted and that we should be using that trust to speak more about the beef industry. That's just, that really resonated. And, um, that was great. So thank you from a cow calf producer for using your platform as a veterinarian to, to teach, you know, young veterinarian students that importance. Um, I have a sister-in-law, I have a a mother-in-law is a vet and my sister-in-law is um, finishing up her third year of vet school. And and she understands the importance of advocacy, but um, I hope that the externships that she gets to do um, yield the same kind of valuable information that's not just professional development and building a business, but also involve that. So just thank you for speaking up and using that. Um, so that sounds like that would be your one piece of advice for veterinarians, for veterinary students. Um, what is one piece, if you could give one piece of advice um, in terms of health management to all beef producers? And I guess we'll, I'm going to narrow it down to feedlot producers because, or feedlot owners, because that's your specialty. So if you could give one piece of advice to all feedlot cattle owners, whether they own a feedlot or they just have cattle in a yard, what would that one piece of advice be? So uh, the one piece of advice that I would recommend to uh, feedlot producers would be invest in the staff that you hire. For us, it's so important uh, record keeping and monitoring animal health, but we would not be able to make any improvements to any given operation. doesn't matter the size. We work from uh, operations that have 500 to over 150,000 uh, cattle. And I would say the most important piece would be the quality and the training that you invest in the people that are, are in charge of feeding and uh, treating uh, cattle. That makes a huge difference on the outcomes uh, once you see the, the trends on health. Well, I think, I mean, that's great. And I, I think that should really resonate because we hear that across, you know, with the way um, employment is and there's a labor shortage, like investing in the people that you are getting um, and really investing in their value and so that you can keep them and, and just paying attention to who you're hiring. So I think that that is a, that's really great. It's time for our famous three. Um, we are coming up on the end of our time here, but we have our three kind of rapid fire questions that we ask every guest. And so those are, and you don't have to answer them quickly. They just, they're just the end questions. So the first one of these is what is your favorite beef related book or resource, whether that be like a handbook or just maybe a book about cattle or something? What, what is one of your favorites? I'm going to go back to the advocacy topic and I'm going to say sacred cow. Oh, okay. 
Cool. I have not read that. It actually sits on my, it's on my, um, I'm pointing up top, but no one can see me. My bookshelf up on my desk. I have a bad habit of like buying a bunch of books and say, I'm going to read them. And then I don't read all the books that I buy, but your recommendation. Yeah, I am. Uh, I challenge you to read that. I, I need to, is that one who I can't remember and I can't see it. I, I can see the top of it, but I can't see who wrote it. But um, I see that one being referenced on Facebook occasionally. Yeah, it is gives, that one by Diana Rogers? Yes, exactly. It gives you excellent uh, data-based uh, bits to plug into different uh, content or conversations, and it's based on research. So I, I find that it's a really nice, good tool, not only for me to understand where we come from and what is needed in the industry, but also to uh, initiate great conversations related to why we need cattle in our food system. Okay, good. She, um, I follow her on Instagram too, so that's uh, she puts really good. Um, infographics they, she does yeah yes. infographics and give images and things like that on instagram so great recommendation that you're gonna drive me to actually get it down and crack the binding on it i have some airplane i have some airline flights coming up so i should use that book okay so turning the tables what is a book that is not related to the beef industry that you are currently reading I am reading a book uh, related to investment and how to learn how to invest. And that's something that it's, it's been really exciting and something that I don't know much about. So I it's called Her First 100K. Oh, that sounds really interesting. That sounds like another one I'd like to read. <laughs> I'm just going to get all my book recommendations from you from here on out. Um, okay, our last rapid fire question what trait do you find admirable in others that has helped them reach success? Yes. So I would say that one of the traits that I admire the most from Dr. Kijim, that was the founder of the company that I work for. And uh, in my opinion, he's a great person. Uh, he always, and what, why I think he's so successful, he always finds value in somebody even if, for example, I'm going to use myself as an example, even if, for example, I don't succeed as a veterinarian in my current role, he is going to try to find where I fit in the puzzle. So he's going to give people a chance to uh, develop and be the best uh, professional they can be in the company. So I think, you know, by understanding people's needs and the company needs and placing those in a team environment, I think that that's what keeps, you know, keep being, uh, him being successful. The ability to recognize that everybody brings value has, uh, and then we just have to find and give people an opportunity to find that value and contribute to the, the whole organization. That's really inspiring. You know, that's the kind of person that you want to work with and work for is someone who knows you have value and wants to work with you to elevate that. And that's, that's really inspiring. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing that. Cause I mean, yeah, that's just, I got a little, uh, excited. Oh, I yeah. Or, you know, like a little shiver down your spine or something hearing that. So that's, that's really great to have that work environment. Um, that is, we're kind of at the end of our interview. Is there anything that we haven't covered for our listeners that you would like to make sure that they hear? 
I'm going to tell them, keep listening to the podcast. There's great speakers, <laughs> great resources, and the hosts are, I, you know, I didn't uh, meet you, uh, knew you before, but I know the other uh, hosts from Iowa State University. And so I would encourage everybody to keep listening and subscribe. Well, thank you. Thank you for that little plug. We appreciate that. Well, that is all we have for today. Thank you, thank you, Dr. Garamopame, for joining us on the Beef Podcast Show. If people would like to find you um, on social media to learn more um, or to get in contact with you, um, where can they do that? Do you have social media profiles you'd like to give a shout out? Yeah. So I, uh, the most active profile that I have well, related to the industry would be my LinkedIn. So you can find me at uh, Mariana Guerra Maupomé, as, as you mentioned, and I will be happy to connect with you and share all the different uh, things that we do in the company and as uh, a professional and then whatever I find interesting on in the beef industry. Well, great, you guys. You heard it here. First, you can find Dr. Guerra Maupomé on LinkedIn. And she would love to talk to you more about health systems and management. Um, thank you for listening to the Beef Podcast Show. We hope that you'll come back next week. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we will talk to you all next week. Thank you. Thank you.